welcome back to Pandemic Pass. My name is Casey Siddons, and I am your host. Uh, This is episode five called The Takeaway, Schools and Mental Health. Um, If you missed episodes one through four, please take some time to download those and definitely subscribe to the Ed's Not Dead podcast feed. Obviously, this is a side pod from our regular Ed's Not Dead programming, where Pete, Robbie, and I have our regular shows, and, and I'm so glad that you are joining us and that you're listening in to these important conversations that uh, we're having on Pandemic Pass. And and uh, what I'm hoping that you will take from these episodes is not a focus on me, certainly. Obviously, I have I have some questions, a lot of questions that I have for our guests, but really the focus should be on the guest and their expertise and thinking about how we can all be supporters of um, our public schools in the, in the days, months, and years ahead. Uh, the takeaway, which is episode starting with episode five, is going to bring us close to the end of this series. I know, tears, single tears. This episode in particular focuses on the mental health of ourselves as teachers, um, our students, our administrators, our families, our communities uh, during this COVID uh, pandemic and, and school closures. In subsequent parts of The Takeaway, uh, in the next couple episodes, we're going to dive into how certain school practices could or should change, in particular grading practices. So make sure you subscribe and download those episodes. We have uh, the wonderful Rick Wormley coming on the show and um, Joe Feldman, who wrote Grading for Equity. Um, And we've had both of those guys on the pod, so please definitely subscribe and tune in. Uh, But for this episode, we're going to be talking about mental health and of the limited amount of silver linings there are, as I've asked just about every one of our guests from this pandemic, in the top tier of this list is, is the positive and persistent focus on supporting one's mental health. Out of the closet, we have people of all stripes, income levels, and classes supporting the open discussion and the breaking down of one's mental health. I think this episode is, is so important, probably the most important episode of this series, and is the beginning of, as I said, a subset of episodes of Pandemic Pass. With the takeaway, we focus on what we can, um, well, for lack of a better word, take away from the challenges and barriers that have crossed our paths during this pandemic. I can't wait for you to hear from a friend of the the regular pod talk about what's next, and that's Phyllis Fagel. She's joining us tonight. Uh, Phyllis Fagel is a licensed clinical professional counselor. She is a certified professional school counselor, journalist, and she is a frequent contributor to On Parenting from the Washington uh, from the Washington Post. And she, when we were allowed to, she traveled the country speaking with other professionals and parents about middle school issues. Um, and she wrote an, an incredible book that I highly recommend you take it out. I'll put it in the links to the show. Uh, middle School Matters, even if you don't teach in middle school. It is an incredible read about how important middle school is. And we had her on the pod. Uh, well, I'll put that in the link as well. Phyllis has worked in both public and private schools with students in grades K-12. to She is currently the school counselor at Sheridan School in Washington, D.C. Um, she also provides therapy to children teens and families in her private practice. And I brought her on the show because I wanted to talk to her about um, what are some things that we can do to repair the damage 
um, from this COVID-19 school closure issue, um, kids staying home, dealing with uh, the stuff that they have to deal with at home. Um, We talk about the mental well-being of children and and what the pandemic has done to that. Uh, We talk about what schools and districts need to do for families and kids to heal the damage to the mental health uh, of our stakeholders. And then we also dive into federal and state policy, like what should they and we be prioritizing in terms of mental health resources. So um, I hope you enjoy this interview. It's, it's, I love talking to Phyllis. She is truly, not only is she an incredibly intelligent and um, well-researched person, she, she is a beacon of empathy and um, hope and optimism and, and just a, a great person to talk to and be with. So uh, enjoy and we'll catch you on the flip side. Phyllis, thank you so much for coming on to the Pandemic Pass. Uh, as we think about how we move beyond the, this pandemic and re- really start to repair the damage, voices like, like yours in particular are going to be really critical. Um, you released a book that I, I suggest to any of our listeners, Middle School Matters in 2019, that focused on how important middle school is to a child's development. But one of the themes of your work, as I took it, at its core really is the mental health and mental well-being of children. What, what has the pandemic done to children and, the fa- and their families like mental health? So I'm a counselor in a K through eight, and I think I've pretty much seen everything at this point. I don't think there are many people, if any, children who have not been impacted pretty heavily by the pandemic. Either their grades have plummeted and their academic self-concept has suffered as a result, or they regressed, or they, in the lack of... in lack of feeling a sense of control, have resorted to some maladaptive coping strategies, whether it's perfectionism or excessive worrying and trying to control their environment. Mm -hmm. A lot of regression, especially among younger kids. And I think a lot of the work that we're going to have to do is going to be after the pandemic. And and I see this, I, I totally hear that. I mean, I see this in my high school students who a lot of them I've never even met before and they're emailing me just saying, I'm so sorry, I'm really behind, I'm doing my best. And I'm, I'm emailing them just like, you'll get it done when you get it done. Like, like it, we, I have to remind myself and them, like we are in the middle of a pandemic and you need to give yourself some slack. Is that what it kind of the practices you're seeing from parents and, and students and their teachers? At, at their best, yes. I, I really appreciate what you're doing for students because it's a lot easier to help kids acquire content than it is to fix broken kids yep. or to help kids re-engage in school if they feel that they can't be successful. Right. So I've been focusing a lot on what can we do to help kids feel connected and competent right now? So, yeah, so so like that, you know, we're doing the best we can, almost like Band-Aid measures now, Right. So like moving forward and starting with the what what I'll call the ground level in schools and districts what do you what do you think are the first steps you know post pandemic in healing our kids and families I think we're going to have to do a lot of needs assessments, maybe not even formally, but I think teachers are going to be having to check in with kids, check in with families, find out where they are emotionally, find out where they've been physically. A lot of kids have been zooming in from all over the world because they have hunkered down with extended family. And so some kids are going to need to readjust socially more than others. Some kids are going to be super insecure about where they belong 
in terms of right. their friendships and just helping rebuild a sense of community before we even start addressing all of the academic gaps. Yeah, I, I totally hear that. I was actually in a, in a uh, ESOL class today talking about uh, the programs that we offer at our high school. And they're all ninth grade students and they've never met each other or the teacher and they've never been in the building. And you think about the, there are those transitionary years and how critical that is. Um, what's your take on, on that in, in the students that you've interacted with? So I'm in a K through eight and a lot of my eighth graders moved on to various different high schools where they knew sure. nobody and had never physically stepped foot in the building. They weren't even able to tour before they decided to go there. Some are in public, some are in private, and several have reached out to say, I'm really struggling. Yeah. And I've tried to get them involved in supporting younger students at their former school. Right. They just have this nostalgia for everything that they missed, and they don't yet have that sense of connection. Some of them are doing much better now that several months have passed, but at the beginning in particular, it was hard. And I think we need to recognize that for these students, there is that extra layer of insecurity, that extra layer of not feeling that sense of belonging. Right, right. Um, how about, what is, what's your take on federal and state policy? What do you, what do you think, you know, I imagine uh, in the coming months and weeks, we'll see some funding coming from state and federal sources. What, what kind of, what should be prioritized in terms of mental health resources, staffing and support for schools and communities? So some of that, I think we could start using right now. It would be great if we could have, you know, sidewalk visits with pupil personnel workers yeah. or appointments, individual appointments with, with social workers or with counselors. I, I don't think we have to have a full return to school in order to start offering some of the supports that would be helpful to kids as they're navigating the pandemic. And that same funding could be used for similar types of services after the fact. I think we're going to need more nurses. There is such a huge connection between physical symptoms and emotional symptoms. I know in my own school, the nurse and I are constantly, I'm in a hybrid program, we're constantly bouncing students back and forth between the two of us. Right. Because if you are really worried and you're not that attuned to your internal life, you may end up with a stomach ache and not recognize that you're struggling emotionally. Right. And so just bolstering the ranks of counselors, social workers, psychologists, nurses is going to be important. And, and in, in terms of what's, I mean, the changes that need to be made with, with regard to mental health resources, I mean, schools and communities are already uh, lacking in those resources. So what's it going to take to really come up to what would be necessary uh, to, to repair the damage? If you look across the country, I think the ratio of school counselors to students, the average is something like 450 to one. Yeah. I know in our area, the local school systems, it's about 250 to one. What we really need to be looking at is what are these counselors doing in addition to the direct services and eliminating all of those non-direct services to allow them to focus wholly on student well-being. Yeah. And I, I see that in high schools where... Um, it seems that high school counselors, not of any fault of their own, are focused a lot on scheduling college applications. And, and I'm not saying that's not important, but it seems like there's going to be a need to be a major shift, if not in staffing in, in priorities, don't you think? Yeah, and I think it's easier to hire somebody who can do data entry yeah. than it is to hire someone to do the the mental health services that require specialized right. training. And so right. maybe there's a way to offload some of those extraneous activities, which are important, but don't necessarily have to be done by a trained counselor. And, and on that point, and, and uh, like 
as you know, I mean, teachers already in the classroom, a lot of teachers already serve as like a sounding board and kind of like a, I think the most effective teachers are, are those who are a sounding board and someone who almost provides informal mental health uh, support for kids, right? So what, what kind of things would you look to be helping with teachers uh, to support kids in that sense? So there are two types of students right now. There are those who really want to spend a tremendous amount of time talking about their emotions and their feelings. And there are those who are really looking to just get outside of their own head and focus on school and have that momentary escape. And I think the challenge for teachers is hitting the needs of everybody in the room. So I think doing a quick taking of the emotional temperature and noting who is really struggling, who is choosing a really low mood or a low number if you're using a ranking system and then circling back and checking in with them. And when teachers feel overwhelmed or feel like there's a problem that's beyond their skill grade to not just direct them to the counselor who they may not even know, but to actually help them tell the counselor their story to help them communicate what's going on in their life so that to, to break the ice for them. So um, I, I want to end on a, on, a, on a supremely positive note with, uh, with talking about silver linings, because there are positive things that are coming out of this, this pandemic. What, what are, for you and your experience, what kind of silver linings have you seen with kids and, and families? You know, I, I've been using the phrase shades of gray instead of silver linings, because I, like I feel that. like, I feel I like, like it's so nuanced really, but there is a lot of good that will come out of this. I mean, I'm hoping for starters that we start to prioritize what really matters. You know, do we really need all of this testing? Probably not. <laughs> nope. Nope. Um, <laughs> do we need more emotional and well-being services? Yes. So that's one piece of it. And I think that we are so concerned societally about that homework gap and about the the gap in their knowledge and, and where people will be returning when this is all over. And I think we have to remember that they may not be learning quite as much in the academic realm. Some of them, some of them might be doing just fine, but they are picking up and acquiring so many life skills that will serve them down the road. I spoke to an author named Bruce Feiler, who talked about how all of us have three to five lifequakes in our lifetime. (laughs) And a lifequake is a major disruption that has aftershocks that last for five years or more. And that means all of us are spending 15 to 25 years of our life in transition. And yet we don't ever focus on honing transition skills in kids or in ourselves. And Uh so maybe these kids will have greater amounts of flexibility or gratitude or have a, a, a more a greater sense of perspective about what really matters. Maybe we've had more family time and that's a positive as well. And yeah. seeing themselves as somebody who emerged from something difficult and having learned from that experience, that's the win for them. Yeah, I th- I th- I'm certainly seeing that in terms of some of the students that I have where I feel like their ability and their desire to persevere has certainly been extended. And I think some of that does come from the, uh, I don't want to say breaks, but the the flexibility that teachers and, and, and administrators and schools have been showing students and the, uh, the compassion. I think they're seeing it modeled and it's, and it's promoting a, a more perseverant, if that's a word, uh, attitude. I like it. It should be. <laughs> yeah, it should be. Um, yeah. So what are, you, what are your, th- I mean, big picture on that piece? I think that we know that 
emotions are contagious, that emotions spread through a social network. And we know that modeling works. And so anything that we can do to help kids catch our calm, anything we can do to model for kids how to cope when things get difficult, anything we can do to help them label feelings or center themselves when they're not doing great. In in part, that is us taking a deep breath when we're not doing that well and explaining to kids we're going to, you know, return to the conversation in a few minutes when we're feeling more centered. Right, right. Yeah, it's that's, that's great. And, and that that awareness is is key, right? Identifying it first and and saying, you know, it's okay to have these feelings that we just have to figure out how to navigate them. Um, I think a, I think a lot of adults, in a very well-meaning way, want to go straight to reassurance. This yeah. is going to be fine. This is almost over. We have a vaccine. And what's much more powerful is to start with that validation to say, this is really hard. I hear you. I would be feeling pretty sad too if I couldn't see my grandparents over right. the holidays. And then to get to the problem solving. So what are some things you might be able to do to feel better? That's great. Well, Phyllis, it's been a pleasure having you on and talking with you again. I always love having conversations with you, whether it's on Twitter or Zoom or whatever. Um, I just wanted to thank you for the work that you're doing and, and the work, the stuff that you're highlighting in terms of uh, mental health and mental well-being. It's, it's super critical all the time, and it's incredibly critical right now. So thanks for coming on the show, and uh, we hope to have you on, on the It's Not Dead regular show at some point soon. Thank you. Great talking to you, too. Yeah. Thank you for joining us on Pandemic Pass. Pandemic Pass is a pulp education production and was written and directed by me, Casey Simmons. Music was written and performed by Peter Craven. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps others find us.